0: Thank you. To Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Adam Walker, and joining me as always is co-host Pat Mitchell. And today is going to be a a, a different podcast in many ways, as you know, Pat.
1: Yeah, conceptually, something that we came up with in the very first episode and then never talked about it again. Right.
0: Right. So I was that's hop- cool for all the listeners that have are totally <laughs> confused. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping that you would bring that up. So when we first were conceiving of this podcast, we had the idea of having guests on periodically. And we had dubbed that portion of the show the Dial-A-Dude portion of the show. <laughs> uh, we have yet to Dial-A-Dude until today. Here we are almost to the end of our second run, second season of the podcast. So, without further ado, um, I would like to introduce our guest for today, and uh, he is uh, Nate Herbert. And how's it going, Nate? Pretty good. Glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks again for uh, deciding to come on. Um, so, First right, guest. Here you go. The dude is on. First and last. <laughs> Probably. Exactly. This is going to just We're go ne- down in flames, and it's going <laughs> to be you No, know,
2: I got to tell you, I haven't shot this shit about a movie in a long time. Yeah. and uh and uh, especially with you for sure right. but uh i probably actually haven't watched an actual movie in a long time either um you would think with the past year and all the fucking shit that goes on you know plenty of time to watch movies and i'm just kind of like virtually completely disinterested with anything that is presented to me on any of the uh, online platforms that are commonly used
0: <laughs> yeah so um that's a good segue to uh, discuss kind of why I I wanted you on here and give a little backstory. So, you know, Nate and I, we're, we go back a long, long time. And I guess the kind of connecting tissue between the three of us that are all on right now is we all come from the DIY punk scene and we all respectively lived at and ran kind of our own punk houses. Uh, Nate and I, We uh, started a house in our hometown of Fort Wayne about 2005 called the Harrison House, which I left about a year after and moved to Indianapolis. Nate continued to live there and host shows. Pat, you lived at the Halloween House, and did you live at the Drink or Die House as well? I didn't live at the
1: Drink or Die House, but I started the Halloween House at uh, 49th and Norwaldo. Yeah, yeah, right around there. And then we moved to the 38th and and whatever the fuck can't remember the intersection, but both those houses. Yeah. And then I, we, uh, or I volunteered at the dojo as well.
0: Yeah. So we all have our, our respective bona fides in the, the DIY punk house scene of, of Indiana. Nate and I, we were friends long before that, but it was a, mm-hmm. uh, a project we decided to take on like, um, you know, mid two thousands. And, uh, So Nate also is the co-host of another podcast called Demo Listen, which you guys specialize in just discussing basically any kind of new thing that people throw at you that's coming from the punk and metal underground or whatever. Just kind of anything that comes across your desk and you guys, Mm -hmm. you know, completely unscripted, just kind of discuss it and, you know, talk shit.
2: Yeah, it's very fly by the seat of your pants. Nothing can be older than one year. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, if it is, we don't listen to it, and um, we're not always nice about it. So, whatever. Right.
0: Which you know, I'm sure many people have told you guys that that's actually some of the the best parts of the podcast is when you guys get the stuff that you hate and <laughs> and have a, a lengthy discussion about that.
2: Yeah, I think that I think that, that there's a that came up in the last episode actually that we just recorded that hasn't gone up yet, and. Um, somebody said we should just, that's all we should do. And it was like, but then it loses its impact. Sure. Um, you know, it's nice to, when, when you have something in there that you really go all in on and I should, I should state that we don't ever usually intentionally like get into like ad hominem attacks. Right. Uh, I just don't like your band, you know, you might be fucking cool, but I don't like your fucking band. Um, so that's usually where we try to leave it. But, um, I think that, I don't know. It seems like a lot of times anymore, especially everybody wants everything to be very squishy and everything should be very friendly mm-hmm. and that everybody should feel safe. And, and, and hey, that's fine. But, uh, you know, I like uh, I like my punk, my hardcore mean. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think that's just, you know, that is a symptom of excessive postmodernism and a hyper capitalist kind of reality that we live in, that everybody has their own interpretations of what's good and bad, what's true or false, you know, There's all these different like personal timelines that people have developed and that's why nobody can come up with any sort of objective sort of standard or reasoning. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I've had discussions with people before about art and music specifically where, you know, they want to try and say, well, you know, you know, it's all subjective, you know, what's good and bad, it's subjective. And, and to me, I've always kind of held that. No, like there has to be some sort of, I feel like standard that things are weighed against to give it some sort of like relevance, greater relevance, you know? So, you know, like yeah, there is I, a I, certain subjectivity to it, but I also feel like there is a standard.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, the standards, the standards are your own personal standards by and right. large for me. Right. I mean, you know, I, you, I think you fall. You, talking about movies talking about anything right when you get into too much you fall into the realm of being like a critic and you get into the realm of sounding like your parents telling you that iron maiden fucking sucked because mm-hmm. uh you know they played music that was they couldn't understand it didn't sound like fucking crosby stills and nash or some bullshit like that sure um so you've you kind of run the risk of grandpaism and like running into it like you know the level of a critic um i don't know i think that there is a you know good when you hear it and you know shitty when you hear it Yeah. And I know shitty when I see it. And that kind (laughs) of leads into tonight, today's movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a good segue to get into the movie. Um, I don't know, Pat, if you had anything that you wanted to add to what, uh, we were just discussing right there.
1: No, other than, you know, I guess I'm curious, Adam and I, uh, I feel like, sometimes I wish we were like a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. <laughs> like, like do you and your co-host partner agree on a lot of shit or like when you both shit on something, is it in total agreeance or is there, a, a, is there an aspect in which you're, you're backing something that your co-host is, is kind of trying to shit on.
2: I think more often, I think that because I mean, Gray and I's tastes tend to align, and when when, we're, when we align, we're in virtual lockstep. Um, however, he has uh, he would argue that he has a much more discriminating taste in music. I would say that he has a much less discriminating taste in music, um, and so he is more open to things that I just absolutely can't stand. For instance, I don't like to hear men whining about their fucking problems. Right. I don't like to hear anybody whining about their fucking problems in music. Right. But the last thing I want to hear is some sappy fucking song with a dude barfing in my ear. Um, and uh, so that like cuts out right away a lot of maybe this a, a lot of the stuff that, that, that Gray might like that is a little uh, a little softer edged. Um, and so, uh, you know, we don't always agree, but we uh, when we do. I mean, it's 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 almost carbon copies of each other. I mean, maybe, maybe that could be to its detriment, but I don't know if we always need to be, um, you know, both sides of a Janice face at the same time. Yeah.
1: I, I think we have a very similar vibe on this podcast because we like a lot of the same movies. Um, so there's a, there's a thread that kind of connects a lot of the shit that we like, and then kind of like the whiny bullshit that you're talking about. There's definitely a there's definitely a genre of film that I also like that, that Adam is kind of wishy washy on and vice versa. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I think we both get excited when, when one of us liked a movie and one of us didn't cause it makes for a lot more interesting pod than both of us like jerking off a, a Jackie Chan movie, which just happened sure. like two weeks ago.
0: <laughs> sure. Sure. Right. Yeah. And- I- Go ahead, Adam. I was going to say, yeah, you know, again, there is that dynamic that is created when there's, you know, tension, so to speak, between the two hosts uh, opinions of of, on whatever you're discussing at the moment.
2: Yeah. Well, and and, and there's a reason why Gray and I do the show together because we're friends. Right. Right. Obviously. And and, and the same with you two that, you know, your tastes are going to align, you know, because of that friendship. I mean. I'm not friends with a lot of people that are totally different than me. Right. (laughs) You know, it's, it's just that simple. And honestly, I think that if you were to get somebody say on the podcast that had a totally different opinion from you, how long could that possibly last in this, unless there was a genuine, like professional understanding that, Hey, we might step on each other's toes here or something like that. Um, I think at that point it has to be a bit more scripted and there has to be more rules set on it. Um, Because, you know, you could imagine that if you get somebody in a podcast that, um, has wildly different tastes than for instance, myself in music, um, inevitably one of us, probably me is going to step (laughs) on the other person and, uh, you know, kind of like maybe push some boundaries a little bit, um, and you know, I guess you you know that uh, that could strain the relationship. That might be interesting, but at the same time, that, that I think that would get pretty difficult and boring. I wouldn't want to have to like constantly argue with somebody about why uh, you know beat down hardcore sucks, or um, you know, I, I honestly. I can't even fathom anybody listening to anything other than rap, hardcore, and heavy metal. So, like, I can't even imagine what a conversation would go like with somebody that listens to uh, radio rock and thinks that, like, I don't know, Stone Sour or Imagine Dragons is legit music, right? Like, how do you even talk to a bonehead like that? And it'd have to be the same thing with a movie podcast. Like, how do you even talk to an idiot that thinks that, you know, I, I, I... Like You know, an idiot that thinks that, uh, I don't know, your standard, uh, your standard Marvel fare is all good. It's great. These are the best movies ever made. Right. Yeah, I would say it's and I feel like this kind of generally cross
0: cuts against any sort of debate or discussion is you have to establish like what even what language are are you speaking with each other? Like what are the what's the parameter set? of your knowledge to be able (laughs) to to approach that. So otherwise, like, you know, if you have a discussion, it devolves into what I would consider like almost like a politically incorrect like round table where everybody is just kind of yelling at each other or talking at Uh each other and Uh there's no like actual discussion happening at all.
2: Right. Right. And, and, and you start to get, um, I guess, clashes of personal sensitivities to mm -hmm. things. And that sort of thing. So uh, Gray and I disagree in certain areas and we'll call each other idiots in certain areas. And I think that works. But, you know, it is what it is. It It is it, it, uh, fun. That's why we do it. This is what I'll
0: say um, to finally kind of cap this off and, and bring it back around is because I know both you and Gray, I know you obviously much better. I think you have more discerning taste than Gray. I'll say that. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) I know what Gray likes. And anyways, as far as like Pat and I are concerned, and this is how I'm going to tie it into the movie is, generally what like we bring each to this discussion uh, that we're continuing to have is, Pat likes what I would consider the big budget flop garbage. And I like the real low budget shit. Like I will just eat up. You know, any fucking bad exploitation movie that's been made in the past 40 to 50 years. Like, I do it in the morning. Like, I just did it before I came on here. I'll, like, put on a movie. I'm like, oh, that looks good. And just have it as, like, background, like, entertainment. And I will just, like, eat that stuff up. Um, Pat has a tendency, like, to, to bring the more big budget stuff or even some of the more newer stuff. He likes more of, like, the more I guess contemporary
2: horror movies that I kind of pass on oh yes I, don't, I pass on a lot of th- a lot of those I mean I don't know if you want to get into what the good horror movies that you've seen in the past 10 years are but like I don't know like there are some that are legitimately legitimately good like hereditary is a legitimately right. good movie um, yeah but man anytime I see like a soaking wet man woman or child with black wet hair I just that's not scary. There's nothing scary about that. There's nothing scary about kids. There's nothing scary about televisions (laughs) with white noise. None of that shit is scary.
0: Which there you go. Perfect segue to tonight's movie where we've traveled back east Um, again. Wasn't too many uh, episodes, Pat, until we decided to come back to this area of the of the world. Right. Because we were just talking about Jackie Chan and Hong Kong. So tonight's episode was my pick. I've got the next two movies in the queue. Um, and it's the part of the notorious Guinea pig series. Now, depending on what references you look at or, you know, who you read, talk about this. I thought this was Guinea pig five, but apparently it could be Guinea pig four. It could be Guinea pig six. Uh, it's (laughs) really hard telling. So Uh,
2: I don't, I don't even know if it actually matters because, uh, There's no, there's no concept of sequential, you know, sequential relationships between these films or anything.
0: Right. What I read was this was the sixth one to be produced, but it was the fourth to be released. So it's like this kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of like, uh, who knows what happens with uh, this movie, but anyways, um, and this is a movie that came out in 1988. And again, it's a part of not really an anthology series. And I'll talk more about this when we get more into the movie, but it's, it's a series of actual, like short ish films that all have different. Um, they all have a different kind of story to them. And there was five of them total with a sixth one B six and seventh one being the documentaries about the movie, as far as what I know. Um, but again, this is why I brought you on for this one specifically, not because not only because I feel like you have, you know, uh, a lot to say about it, but <laughs> Um, you're the one that introduced me to the guinea mm-hmm. pig series. Um, and I thought like, you know, after we had done the, um, pink flamingos episode, cause we had a lengthy discussion during, uh, that podcast episode about the shit eating scene. Right. It, which is one of the most
2: <laughs> gut wrenching things you could ever hope to watch.
0: It's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. But I brought up how, you know, I kind of have this like weird, like poop revulsion that I didn't have prior to working construction and having to utilize porta potties (laughs) And I brought up the story that we were talking about when I called you about like when we got that poop, that shit eating porn uh, anthology from Andy, you know, because Mm -hmm. we had heard about Veronica Moser and the being the The shit eating queen, the shit eating queen. And as it kind of fell in line with both our interests in finding the most repugnant, repulsive, you know forms of art we could find obviously movies um that kind of fell in line with us and we just sat there and watched it like eating breakfast just like laughing
2: (laughs) right i was eating fruity pebbles i believe i was on like my second or third bowl of fruity pebbles when you came down i had already watched most of the movie by itself and you were like are you watching that veronica moser movie and i was like dude this is fucking disgusting and then we just watched it a second time the whole way through yeah
0: where it was just like people like there was like literal tarps laid out Uh in whatever studio they had just rolling around in the shit literally fucking and sucking and I just thought it was funny how I went from that to being like I can't even look at like a pile of dog poop and I start to gag because
2: (laughs) Well, I'm not there. I don't like <laughs> shit. There are very few <laughs> things that uh, I dislike more than the scent of shit. But um, I'm not quite there with dog shit. Uh, uh, but the thing about playing flamingos is that is she's eating dog shit. Yeah. It, I wouldn't be bothered if it was human shit. I'd be like, ah, whatever, right? right. It's kind of gross. It's, it's you know, whatever. But, like, do what you think. But the fact that she grabs fresh dog turds and then Divine takes them and shoves them in her mouth. And you can tell she almost pukes. <laughs> She's holding it back and she's trying to smile that she guts it out. And holy shit, like, you know, kudos to you because right. uh, it is absolutely gut-wrenching. If it were human turds, would not bother me as much, but <laughs> fresh dog turds, no thanks.
1: Fresh, right That's out of the interesting. ass. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Like, whether or not it's
2: worse. <laughs> Just like- yeah, I, I think it is. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think because, you know, especially by this time, you know, I mean, who hasn't seen like corpophagia by this time, right? In 2021, right? right? If you're under, if you, we'll say if you're 40 or under, there's no way you haven't encountered corporaphasia in your internet life. Um, two girls, one cup, right? Right. Grandma's reaction videos were all over YouTube, right? Granny's has seen two girls, one cup. They, they know. <laughs> Everybody knows. So like eating human shit is almost blasé in its shock factor, but eating fresh dog shit? Whoa no thanks
0: yeah and for like
1: 19 what
2: 68 72 yeah 72 yeah
1: okay so yeah (laughs) jesus christ that's what we were talking about i don't want to make this a pink flamingos rehash but we were talking about like it's still repulsive some 40 odd years later that's that has legs that repulsion has legs
2: and this is my last thing about this, because I could talk about divine eating a dog turd all fucking day. Um, is it's an addendum. It's not even part of the main plot. It's like, hey, by the way, just to prove that she's the most vile person on the planet. Here you go.
1: Yeah, she did it like improv. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is even more insane. And kudos to her. But that's yeah. what make, that's what differentiates that. From tonight's movie, what is the realism of it? And you can, I feel the dog turd air wafting up into my nose hairs as she's eating it. But like tonight's movie, whereas the guinea pig series was kind of founded on this kind of like faux snuff kind of reality. Mm-hmm this movie is so detached from reality that it detaches me from being repulsed by it. So like there's no repulsion in, in, in watching tonight's movie, which is trying ever so hard to be repulsive.
0: Yeah. And so we kind of already talked about a little bit about, uh, you know, the, you know, some of the, the nuts and bolts of the movie. Um, and this movie specifically was directed by uh, Hideshi Haino. Um, he directed the first well, he directed uh, Flowers of Flesh and Blood and this one, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And he had a hand in like the whole production, essentially. But to me, those are the two best of the series. And I kind of almost wanted to do it. I, I I admittedly regret maybe not doing a back to back since these movies are so short of both Flowers and Flesh and Blood and this. But whatever, because I feel like they, they kind of are worthy of uh, coupling and discussion but um, yeah. So that brings me to want to talk to you guys about what are some of you, what were or are some of your uh, thoughts of this movie or initial thoughts up top? Like, how did you find out about it? Um, and you know, how long did you know about the existence of this? It's notoriety, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, you either sure. one of you can go like Nate Pat.
2: So I I first learned the Guinea Pig series in the nineties, um. I learned of Guinea Pig and then Tetsuo Iron Man around the same time. And uh you know at that point it, you know I'm in my late teens and early 20s and uh, I am actively seeking out the most notorious the you know the cannibal pherox the cannibal holocaust like the most exploitative right mondo cannibal all that stuff i'm trying to find you know traces of death faces of death Trace of death is pretty fucking dope i don't know if i give a shit about it today but the right. soundtracks are pretty fucking dope at times um like i would seek out the most horrific things because you know i remember i distinctly remember seeing parts of guinea pig and tetsu iron man as visual backdrop for a band at a local battle of the bands And wondering what was that, you know, and then talking to somebody is like, oh, that was guinea pig and that was Tetsuo Iron Man. And then you go to parties or something like that. And somebody would just put in, you know, a shock video just to leave on. Right. And and as the party went on, you would see like people segregate where people are watching traces of death, too in one room and then everybody else is like just hanging out in the kitchen or hanging out outside and not really wanting to deal with the the fucking death metal weirdos that are watching (laughs) you know like (laughs) a pig get fucking burned alive and trace i think it's traces of death two that has a pig for like 15 minutes getting burned to death right yeah um so at that point you know there's a certain like (laughs) I, i i would say like juvenile masculine curiosity to it uh, Cause yeah. it definitely seems to be a, 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 a young male thing to want to see shit like that. Yeah. Um, and so I got this guinea pig, I, I got the guinea pig box set probably around 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I found it at Suncoast video. I probably got it off eBay or something like that. And then when Adam and I lived together, you know, we, we checked it out. Um, so that's, that's how I discovered it. And I remember at the time when I got it, Feeling like, well, first, I was aware of the apocrypha surrounding Charlie Sheen and Flower of Flesh and Blood, where he thought it was a real snuff film. Yeah. Now, if you watch A Flower of Flesh and Blood, there's no way in hell you think that's a real snuff
0: film.
2: (laughs) I mean, let's face it, the effects are okay, right, for what they are. It's really great that they're practical, right, Um, because uh, the practical effects give like that – That tactile realism to it that, you know, it it looks too slick if it's and and when it was made, it couldn't be, you know, um, digital effects. But like digital effects to me, a lot of times they just they don't look they don't have any sort of like tactile realism because I don't know what it would look like to sever somebody's arm. I know the anatomy of the arm, but I don't know what it would look like. Right. And so, you know, the digital effects sometimes are a little too slick. I want to see the um, I want to see the the uh, awkwardness of it, so to speak. Right. Yeah. It's like with the thing. Right. My, one of my all time favorite horror movies, the practical effects in that, obviously they're fake. But the lighting and the way that they're pulled off is so frigging uncomfortable and awkward. And the fact that you can tell it's like pneumatics moving something and it has this unnatural movement that makes it even better yeah. than being nice and fluid and looking. It makes it look more alien and weird. Right. Um. So I kind of, you know, so. I kind of lost my train of thought, but we, oh, with Firefly about there's no way you think that's real, right? So I was aware of that, and then there's like the cannibal holocaust, you know, where supposedly the 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 the, the native woman that's impaled on a pike—that's a real cadaver, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but that was the whole lore. So I always sought out shit like that that was supposedly banned in 37 countries. Well, why is it banned? Because they chop somebody up. I'm like, well, that's all. It's not real, but it's pretty <laughs> cool, right? Yeah. So that's how I got it, and I remember watching the guinea pig series. And until you contacted me about it, other than Flower and Flesh and Blood, which for real, I had been thinking about maybe not even two weeks prior, um, um, I totally put it out of my head. Yeah. Um, because they, they're not good. (laughs) Like the best ones are Flower and Flesh and Blood, which is just pure shock value exploitation. And then Mermaid in the Manhole, which I think probably the director and the writer, um, thought maybe tried to ascribe more people want to ascribe more depth to it than really it deserves. Um, you know, I feel like it's, it's again, just another, uh, a slightly more artistic take on, uh, just trying to be shocking. So that's kind of my history with it. I hadn't revisited it until I watched, um, mermaid in a manhole. I finished watching it, you know, about a half hour before we started recording. So, uh, before, uh, pat goes
0: i just want to say that i do agree with you mostly i think i came away from this uh viewing of it actually with a different kind of perspective than maybe i thought i had originally Mm -hmm. um but uh but yeah so it's interesting that you said some of those things um so go ahead pat um kind of tell tell me like you know how did you come upon this was like kind of similar circumstances as far as like nate described because those were i'm not going to say too much about my personal relationship with it because i already kind of said it and Nate also the way he described the whole kind of coming of age, right of passage of finding all these like really like fucked up movies was a part of you know my teen years as well. So
1: yeah, um, you know, i, I I'm younger than both of you by just a, a little bit, but I think Nate nailed it with the like adolescent machoism of when you are just seeking out the most perverse cinema that you can. And I think everyone just kind of goes through that regardless of what year it is when you are 16, 17, you just are going through that. And I distinctly just remember being on a, on a, a horror movie message board. It's like the first message board I ever got on when I was like 14, it was actually bloody disgusting before bloody disgusting blew up as an Mm. actual like news outlet. They were just strictly a, Uh, a message board that I got all my recommendations from. And there was a thread definitely dedicated to disgusting ass shit. And I would just peruse that thing and just consume everything I could. So, you know, watching men behind the sun at 16 and (laughs) (laughs) most the craziest shit you've ever seen it's definitely something at the time that it, you, you seek out and it's definitely almost like a rite of passage through cinema. But looking back, it's, it's hard for me to think that I would ever be in the mood to watch those kinds of movies after a once through. Um, but I also thought it was funny when he, when Nate mentioned going to like a party and having like background a a, a fucked up background movie, which I love. That's like totally my party move, which my wife absolutely hates. She's like, we're having people (laughs) over and I have like solo going on in the background. And she's like, turn this shit off. And I was like, (laughs) dude, we we need like a background movie, baby.
2: Like, (laughs) yeah, Come yeah, on. <laughs> I think I think that's the context that I would only revisit some of those films today unless I was going to discuss them like today is, you know, going back and looking at it and like, yeah, this is this is this is fun in the same way that like um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 is fun. Get some friends together, watch one of these shitty movies and just sort of roast it and have a laugh while you're doing it. Men Behind the Sun is another one where supposedly the body that's in the pressure chamber is also real. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. There's a bunch of folklore that goes behind this outside of like Charlie Sheen's like coke addled fucking FBI call (laughs) because he couldn't under, you know, discern reality from what's obviously a a fake movie. But like Mm -hmm. it's not it's not so much that, you know, I you watch it hoping for the closest thing to reality. It's more so the the folklore that goes behind like that's a real like. Like cannibal Holocaust, like they really tore a fucking shell off of a tortoise, or like right. uh, that's supposedly a real corpse, or that is supposedly real, real shit. And you know, you love you you love watching it for those little tidbits. Uh, it's the same reason people looked, you know, for the the guy that supposedly hung himself in Wizard of Oz, or right. you know, we love this macabre background shit, and mm. these kinds of movies tend to have more of it. And when you're that age, you just Try to seek out the m- most perverse shit you can get your hands on. So, they, to tie it back around to guinea pig, I've only seen Flowers of Flesh and Blood. I've never seen uh, any other. So, this is my first uh, time watching Mermaid and Manhole. Oh, specifically. really? Okay. okay. Yeah. So the, the, it was a. Uh, I'll get to my thoughts on it, but. <laughs> i I will just say
0: it's my least favorite movie we've ever done on here (laughs) Um, oh let's see and this is great we're gonna have a great dynamic here because i feel like we're all like kind of on different pages with this this movie so so yeah and i'll just add to like the pile of movies that like uh have this kind of uh mythos of them that maybe you guys didn't mention pat you brought up like not too long ago the august underground movies which i Personally, haven't watched, but they also have that kind of vibe to them as well. And then I would also say uh, The Begotten. That's another one where it's like it feels like a demon directed it. Like
1: it doesn't feel like (laughs) human. It has like no human element to it. It's like void
2: of all. (laughs) Yeah, I love that's what I love about it. I have forgotten about that movie that was one there was in my hometown there was a a video store that had a very big selection of cult and foreign and weird movies like this and begotten was a regular rental for a party movie Mm. um to put on because uh i totally forgot about that movie Yeah.
0: yeah so okay well um so now that we've had our own uh you know kind of initial thoughts and our uh you know introduction to this movie Let's actually talk about the movie proper. Um, So basically the synopsis of this movie is that an artist finds uh, and rescues a mermaid in a sewer that he's traveled down to for uh, essentially inspiration for his art. He's kind of lost his inspiration. His wife left him. He's, he's forlorn and he goes to the sewer and he finds this uh, mermaid who, uh, she's basically been trapped down there because it used to be a river. And he remembers all this from his childhood. And she has developed a sort of like abscess or like, like pustule wound that needs to be dealt with. So he takes her back to his uh, apartment and decides to basically use her as his muse for painting. And as time progresses, she decays more and becomes more infested with these pustules and, and he actually uses the pustules as his kind of crucibles for the paint for his painting. Um, and it kind of just progresses there on to its macabre end, which we'll get into more. Uh, uh, any other sort of metrics or whatever, budget, box office gross. This is another one of those movies where it doesn't even register. These, this, movie, this movie and Fla- Flowers and Blush and Blood were pretty underground for... good time they never even made a blip on any of that sort of uh radar um other than like them entering into notoriety due to you know like you were mentioning about charlie sheen uh which we can talk about more at the end of the show if we want to um so and as far as like critical reception again because of its nature none of the the big names i can't get any pull quotes from but i will say this um because I feel like um, this thing that I did find kind of hinges upon what both of you might have felt about this movie, as far as any sort of like criticism of it. Um, I found on this website, uh, hails of terror. The, the reviewer said the film should have spent a few more hours in the editing room. It is 20 minutes too long. That said, it has one of the most polished scripts and complex storylines in the franchise. It doesn't make the movie great, It only shows how bad the previous ones were. There is overacting. The directing can get lazy at times and pacing is all wrong. But this one is worth watching. So there you go.
2: Yeah, I kind of concur with that, too, because, Adam, when we talk about this movie, when you contacted me, I was like, well, that's the only one worth watching. That's the only one that out of the six movies in the guinea pig series, that's the only one that I feel like feels like an actual movie. Mm-hmm. um or has a storyline of any kind right um the rest of them are just pure shock humor and, and like you know dark violent humor um and just then pure just shock value um mm-hmm. so yeah I agree with that
0: any other thoughts pat before we get into it no we can we could get right into it all right that being said let's move on to the good the bad and the questionable And starting off at the top, let's talk about our goods. And again, I can already sense that I'm, I think I'm in the minority here, that I actually came away from this movie watching it this time and actually like really, really enjoyed it and actually had a different appreciation for it. Um, So, and I guess like, I, my initial reasoning for that is, so Pat, you and I, we haven't really talked about this much. And, you know, I've tried to find a way to kind of introduce this into our programming without completely bumming you out, because I know where your your standards lie with this type of stuff. But I have like gradually become more and more obsessed with shot on video exploitation movies, uh, because to me, that is like the in many ways, the outlying frontier of underground cinema that is most equated to what would be in like a music parlance, like harsh noise or, (laughs) you know, like lo-fi black metal and things like that, where you're really, really like sinking into like the, the substratum of that, of the, of the genres. Um, And so I've been trying to find more and more of these, specifically because it only happened in the 80s really the shot on video uh kind of movement and i feel like this is a good way to do this because this is clearly a shot on video you know kind of it's in that inner that weird intermediary between like shot on film and and shot on digital Um, so it has that certain kind of like texture and grain to it that gives it this weird but also clearly dated quality to it Um, so I actually like that about this. Um, there was another movie I watched not too long ago. Um, it was like one of the very first shot on video horror movies called sledgehammer. And my God, it was so terrible, Uh, but I loved it because it was just such a piece of shit. Like this director who went on to have some notoriety in the underground with like different, like action films and B movie, like exploitation movies of different varieties. He just basically shot all of this movie in his, apartment in Venice beach with his friends. And I think that's why I kind of like this type of stuff is because going back to talking about pink flamingos again, and deadbeat at dawn, this is just like a bunch of buddies. They're friends that all got together and they're like, let's make a shitty movie. And you can tell like, there's like probably like they're just having fun doing it. Now I digress because I don't, (laughs) I, I I would, I would say that there was that same sort of feeling with this. I kind of watched the making of documentary a bit, uh, with these but um, Yeah so I like the shot on video Aspect of it that's one thing right off top That I like um, One of you guys just jump in like If you do have any goods I don't want to take up all of it obviously But I can but what goods do you have about This movie that you can talk
2: about So I think that I. I so I think the shot on video um, You talk about how It's just friends making a movie and that sort of thing I like I like that about this movie. I I agree with you. I haven't really thought about it, but it's, it's, um, I guess the, it, it was the egalitarian way to make a movie, right? In akin to like on hardcore records, a lot of times the production for me is what makes it because, you know, like if you listen to, I always talk about like crossed out. If you listen to those crossed out recordings, if they were recorded with modern production standards or like with any really good production standards, they would probably suck. Yeah, But, the, the 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 shitty movies like sledgehammer and this and you know um like my sweet satan the fact that they're shot on video gives them that 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 cheap grainy low budget quality that for me makes it a little more authentic mm-hmm. um so i kind of concur that with like shitty production for like you know hardcore bands and and stuff i kind of you know or like classic death metal demos that have super shitty production that's one of the things that makes them so fucking rad. Right. Right. Um, so I, I agree with that. I kind of like that. And I think it works to this movie's benefit. Um, there is not, I mean, the, the director does the, with the imagery, um, cause this is based off a manga. Mm-hmm. Um, Hideshi Hino also, he's a manga artist and I, you know, he, he, uh, I believe that, you know, this is one of his manga or something like that. But, um, Relying so heavily on just the over the top pustules on this woman and just mm-hmm. the over the top close ups, it almost reminded me of at times like something that like Dario Argento would do. I think it's like in maybe what is it, Beyond that, or what that's, is that's Fulci? What is, the Fulci, yeah. what is so is it? Yeah, and it's the one where. Well, I, I sh- I'm blanking on it right now, but where like spiders are biting a woman's eye. And Argento's from, always, beyond. from yeah, beyond. From beyond. And, um, you know, Argento's always good for like showing like close ups of a needle or something piercing the skin. Right. And so that kind of shows up in here as well. Um, I think that just kind of leaning real heavy into the, um, even if it doesn't necessarily look that real, but leaning real heavy into the, um, the over the top effects and the abundance of worms, um, kind of, kind of works to its benefit. Um, uh, the colors are cool. There's a cool color palette in the movie, which, you know, um, kind of, i uh, maybe I'm trying to ascribe more, more intent to this than I, than, than was <laughs> intended, but, um, you know, there's a cool color palette which plays with the fact that this guy was an artist. Um, you know, but, uh, Revisiting this movie after probably not seeing it for 15 years, um, there's not a lot that really stands out to me as the good. I'm really struggling to find something where I'm like, yeah, that held up. I think that that still holds, holds up for like a solo watch. If I watched it with you two in person and we could bag on it in person, I would feel a lot better about
0: it. <laughs> well, OK, so what? what – what are your thoughts on, Pat? Uh, any goods that you have? Because I can I can fill up the good section. If you guys are, are at a loss for words here, I could I could have my own uh, solo discussion I, I feel, about
2: that. I, I feel like it would be your, the good section here is going to be point, counterpoint, point,
0: counterpoint. <laughs> well, there we go. That, that Here's our crossfire section we were talking about. Here's our hardball section of the podcast that we were kind of in, indicating about earlier. But go ahead, Pat. Yeah, we're, we're the Hannity and Colms of fucking... <laughs> Movie talk
1: <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah. I mean, Nate nailed it. It's a it's a struggle to come up with, with the good for this. Um, so I'll, I'll save most of my actual critique for the bad. But I will mm-hmm. start by agreeing with the fact that the, 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 the shot to video kind of – the shot on video quality of this actually lends itself to – this sort of production. So like, yeah, I don't need a 4k remastered Blu-ray of this shit. Like Mm -hmm. you need to watch this with like the VA, the, the, the VHS like lines going across the screen and shit. Um, that, that actually aids the, you know, consumption of this movie. Uh, unlike, you know, we talk about sometimes when things are shot to video, to me, and the and and it's stuff that you like. It comes off as music video videoy, mm-hmm. especially when you couple that with like very fast paced editing. Um, it comes off as more of like a guar video than it does like something that I I want want to watch in a in an actual cinematic capacity. But I right. think for your good, I will I will also throw my hat in the ring and agree <laughs> with the fact that this definitely lends itself to this type of movie and, and aids in the consumption of it. Yeah. I certainly need this type of movie to be that grainy sort of video quality for sure. Um, But I think what's missing is what Nate is saying um, is I needed, I needed to be talking over this movie with other people and like drinking and, like, not sitting on my couch in the dark with my wife who's fallen asleep. And now I'm, like, watching this in silence. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> that's uh, maybe not the best way to consume it. But, yeah, maybe I needed to have, like, a party or something and have a bunch of people talk over it because I would not have missed any detail of this. I could have watched this with the subtitles off and I would have yeah. – been totally
2: fine. <laughs> yeah, it really strains your attention. It really, it really strained my attention. I love it was that. Tough.
1: It's a, it's a long hour. It's like I, I, I don't want to go in hard because we're in the good <laughs> still. So I will. I want to hear more of the good from Adam
0: because I, yeah. yeah, I struggle with the good here. I love how I made this equally a uh, uncomfortable and awkward uh, <laughs> experience all around. Uh, whereas like I came away from it, <laughs> uh, enjoying, it, uh, quite, quite Shit a bit. Shit eating grin over here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the whole, like, uh, the music video quality too, because that kind of comes back to our discussion about hardware and, uh, another movie specifically you, what I you was didn't, talking you didn't about like yeah. all, because of that quality. And, and I specifically like it because it has that quality. I don't know how much you watch hardware, uh, Nate, but, uh, it has that that kind of granny video, uh, quickly edited kind of quality to it. But uh, yeah, so we were at uh, we were up opposed on that one as well. Um, so for me, okay. So here's the here's the thing. So the reason why I took more away from this was um, because I felt like. I did pick up on subtext and different like themes that, that the director was trying to uh, ascribe to this that I didn't pick up before when I watched this movie before it was just like, yes, it was like an exploitation movie that had a notoriety to it and was super gory. And that's kind of why I wanted to watch it. I didn't really think about it more, more than that. So for me, it's like, I, I felt like I picked up more on um, different um, underlying themes that were going on. But before I get into that more, Well, you were talking about, Nate, the color palette. And this is something that Pat and I have talked about in previous episodes. I That's something that I specifically like to really um, take away from movies. And and the directors that I really like the most, especially the ones we've talked about on here, they have a very distinct color palette to them uh, when they or they or they introduce their films with very distinct color palettes like Argento. We talked about Manhunter and Michael Mann's early movies have a very like distinct kind of 80s uh almost fluorescent color palette but yeah like the comparison to Argento I think is very apt because even though it's not a lot there is the subtle use of like uh reds and greens that are utilized in this movie to kind of indicate the not the morbidity and the body the the body horror you know kind of to highlight the body horror aspect of this and that's why I also like this is to me this is kind of almost a quintessential body horror movie. It was in the style of Cronenberg where it's very very clearly talking about like, you know, the horrors of the decomposition of the body and what it how it affects other people maybe mentally. And so there is that interplay between the mermaid decaying grotesquely <clears throat> and the madness of the painter. So That was one of the things that I really liked about it. Um, I think it's actually a pretty genuinely creepy movie. The whole um, introduction into the manhole, like with title cards where it shows the different kinds of just items floating through the sewer that are all like symbolic unto themselves and gives a foreshadowing of the end with what looks to be what you think initially is just like a baby doll floating in the sewer to me foreshadows what's to come later in the movie. There's also the clock symbolizing like time and times like persistence on the individual and what it does to, you know, people and things like that, nostalgia, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, it's like, I picked up all these subtexts, like the mermaid obviously, you know, is in to me, she's not just the muse of the artist. She's also in the mind of the artist so, this is like the artist is creating this fantasy with the mermaid. He's projecting essentially onto his dead wife. Because that's the big reveal is like the mermaid's actually his wife. Mm-hmm. So, throughout the whole movie, he's projecting his muse onto his dead or dying wife. And it also, to me, it symbolizes the fact that he's, you know, it's a loss of innocence. It's a paving over of what's natural and innocent because as he describes, the sewer used to be a river. It used to be kind of this bucolic area that he went to for inspiration when he was a child and the mermaid was his muse and that got paved over and turned into a city essentially. And so it's like, there's this cleaving of the artist's connection with his muse that he tries to reunite with later on in life when it's too late, essentially. When he's at the end of his rope, when like he's he's entered the nadir of his artistic capacities. And he's trying to reignite that through bringing the mermaid back home. So yeah. that, that's why I that, that's kind of the subtext that I picked up on all of this that
2: made me enjoy my viewing of it, I guess. So. So, I, yeah, I mean, that's pretty, pretty clear, too, because there's plenty of flashbacks where it shows Um, you know, like the paintings from his childhood Mm -hmm. and, uh, then, you know, cutting to the mermaid spewing pus and worms and ooze Mm -hmm. in the bathtub Mm -hmm. and then going back to his childhood. Like, I think it's especially towards the end. Um, you know, and he talks about how this used to be his, uh, this used to be a river. He'd come here with friends and dragonflies and, and so forth. And those are all gone now. Yeah. And it's all paved over. And and so, yeah, that's I guess that's what where, where when I talked about, like, I feel like maybe this movie wanted to be more um, poignant than it was than it was capable of being mm-hmm. in, in the way that it was made, um, because any any nuance of like depth or any greater intent in this movie is just ridden right over for me by how ham-handed everything else is like even at the very end when it talks about how you know he, he it shows the dismembered wife which those effects don't look too bad without lighting right. and everything like that they don't look too bad there's plenty of sausage links hanging out and and worms mm-hmm. and other stuff and who the hell knows what's inside a body right how would you know what guts actually look like right right so um, it doesn't look too bad. The baby, which shows up floating in the sewer in the beginning, right? I mean, yeah, it's a doll, but if you if you the way that the camera dwells on it and focuses on it, it kind of sits with you. You're like, ugh, that's kind of gross. And mm-hmm. here he comes with a painting of it. Um, so, you know, by the time you get to that point at the end, when the reveal is that he's dismembered his wife and so forth, you know, maybe there could have been some greater takeaway from the movie but it was just so um i guess it it was pushed so far in the background with how over the top and shocking the imagery had to be and then at the very end there was that they found a fish scale they didn't know where it came from oh fuck off so was it real or not like don't don't do that teasing shit right (laughs) Like, is this, you know, don't do that bullshit. That is such a ham handed, like stupid thing to do.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to disagree with you on that point, but like, (laughs) here's the thing. Like, I think for one, okay. I really, I love the special effects in this. I think the, the makeup designer and special effects team did a really good job of making that mermaid look genuinely disgusting. And the fact that they did they just piled on and piled on the worms. Like the worms oozing from her pustules to me can be genuinely kind of revolting. Um, and they're a specific kind of worm, you know, they're, you know, they're not just like, you run of the mill like earthworms no, they're,
2: they're polychaetes <laughs> they're they're, <Yeah. laughs> they're 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 like the bloodworms that you would get for fish bait at the beach sure. they're polychaetes so they're like marine worms and yeah. it, because they have those little ketae, those little bristles that stick out the right. side like legs it makes them look extra gross
0: right and i was hoping that you would chime in with that given your background that you would be able to explain specifically what kind of species or you know whatever that was because i didn't know but yes because they have the legs it gives them that effect that they could actually dig into you. That's what gives them even more of like this menacing kind of aspect to it. Um, I think as far as like the, um, the dichotomies, hey,
1: you, uh, sorry, is, what? is Nate, uh, an entomologist of sorts? I'm
0: a, I'm a biologist. Okay.
1: Just, I was yeah. curious. You said background,
0: did I? Just, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I guess. Talking. Yeah.
2: That, that,
0: that, that wasn't really elucidated,
2: but yes. Um, I'm, I'm a conservation biologist. I work in you know that sort of stuff. Not 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 polychaetes and worms per se, but uh, you know. He, we'll he, have
1: you back for the worm portion of all of our
0: discussions. Then <laughs> there you go, <laughs> or or snakes specifically when we talk about snakes. Shit. So, okay,
1: let's do *Serpent in the Rainbow*.
0: <laughs> I would do it. That movie's kind of a piece of shit too. So, um, no, but no I would way. Do,
1: uh, <laughs> *Serpent in the Rainbow*.
0: Oh, I, I like how know. that one that one <laughs> set you off. No, I love that movie, but I feel like it's also kind of... It's got issues, but that's why we talk about these. Anyways, um, so (laughs) for me, the kind of what you're talking about as problematic, the dichotomy or, I guess, um, the inability to, um, I guess, fluidly merge the -the over-the-topness with the underlying subtext or the dark fairy tale aspect to me, I like that. And I think, not to get too... I know like, we, this could be considered problematic by generalizing at this point, but you know, for me, one of the reasons why I like Japanese art, Japanese music, Japanese cinema, especially of a certain era, is because there are those two aspects to it. It's not only pretty gonzo and over the top and kind of pushing mm-hmm. the envelope, but obviously they're trying to say something. Like, you know, Japanese punk bands, they have a message, but it's also, like, blown out. It's through, like, the most blown out fucking hyper-fast, like,
2: you know, fucked up sounding punk. You know what I'm saying? So so I'm going to say something here. Um, on my podcast, we say problematic things all the fucking right, time. Right, right.
0: So do we. But I'm just saying, you know,
2: <laughs> I like to, but
0: I like to say that up front in case people are just coming to this episode first and they think, oh, well, you know, these guys don't recognize these things. I just try to put I that think,
2: stuff up front. I think a lot of times... We in the West, particularly we in the United States, try to ascribe right. more depth to Japanese art than perhaps sure. is there because that's, it's lost in translation. That's and all I was trying feel, to set up front, and we're also trying to feel maybe a little cultural sensitivity or whatever right. because, hey. Uh, I, I I don't necessarily have to think that there was any deep intent other than let's just, you know, because, you know, Hideshi Hino is a, is a horror manga artist and writer. So mm-hmm. maybe he's just trying to fucking write some gory shit. And any meaning was just secondary. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the first things first was let's make something that's gross and shocking. Let's put something out there that's 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 repulsive. And then as sort of an afterthought. All right. Because that's what it felt like to me. Let's try to make it mean something. Right. You know, it's like, you know, you'll never convince me that James Joyce meant a goddamn thing when he wrote Finnegan's Wake. Right. He's dead. You'll never fucking know. Right. It's not even worth discussion.
0: I dude, I love that you brought up James Joyce, because I know this is like a continual thing that you have brought up over time. As far as like (laughs) any sort of like artistic analysis you like to do of things is like, I love it.
2: It's because what? I have relatives that are <laughs> Joycean scholars, right. right? Like like experts in James Joyce, and I had a I had an argument with them one year in Thanksgiving because I said like, I took down I took an honest crack at Finnegan's Wake, yeah, and I got about thirty pages in. I was like, this is fucking bullshit, and I put it down. And I and I said to him, I was like, you will never convince me anything other than that's fucking bullshit. Um, so you know, fuck James Joyce and fuck you. <laughs>
1: I like that Nate came to <laughs> came onto our podcast with one note, and it was just dunk on James Joyce at some point. <laughs> this is only
2: no, know. It's, <laughs>
1: it's
2: just it's just every every time that I I hear like I I, I kind of I don't like the idea of trying to ascribe any more depth than what is transparent like like what is on the surface to a lot of art because we can't get inside the artist's head you know Rothko is another one that I bring up hey cool you paint squares and squares that's pretty fucking cool who gives a shit right like I'm not an art critic I'm not a fucking artist they look pretty cool but I you know yeah I guess maybe it means something to you Rothko it don't mean fuck all to me See, uh, so I love Mark Rothko. So there's
0: that point. (laughs) Uh, and also the reason why, like, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Finnegan's wake is because I've been reading, um, um, uh, Joseph Campbell's, uh, hero of a thousand faces, um, which I don't know if you guys know or aware of that book, but basically it was essentially the inspiration for George Lucas, uh, writing, uh, star Wars. No, and, Jesus, don't and, me fucking and that's a whole nother thing I know. But so Joseph Campbell likes to talk a lot about Finnegan's wake and uh, <laughs> James Joyce's references that he makes a lot to essentially um, older uh, cultural mythologies and things like that. So anyways, I, I don't want to get too off topic with that, but I, it's funny that you brought up uh, James Joyce. Uh, because of your your relationship with that, <laughs> and I was thinking about that recently too. Um, so, anyways, that's essentially okay. I'm going to leave it at that. Those are my goods. I like this movie. I took you know things away from it that maybe y'all didn't. Um, I, I like the you know the overall vibe to it, and I think it's a perfect length of time. It gives me kind of that whole. You know, again, it's not necessarily an anthology per se, but it gives me because of its succinctness, it gives me the feeling that it's like part of like an anthology a la Creepshow or Tales from the Dark Side, you know, things like that, which, you know, Pat and I, we've talked about those at length at at one point here on the podcast as well. So I'm just going to say those are all the goods. You guys got everything off your chest. I got mine. I'm going to let, I'm just going to open the floor then to both of you with the bad. And and Pat, if you want to go ahead and take the, take the reins this time, uh, please deal out all your bad. (laughs) I (laughs) I just feel
1: like it's like a B reel that a special effects individual would put on a resume to turn in like when they're applying for special effects artists on a movie like i did a bunch of really cool mermaid effects in college and i shot a bunch of b-reel on it like and he's like turning it in as like his resume there is no story here uh nothing worth sitting through for over an hour nothing nothing It's got the depth of about of a baby pool in terms of like anything that I can ascribe or learn from it. The the mermaid scale at the end just sent me through the fucking roof. Like it, (laughs) it was like the exclamation point on on how pissed I already was, because you don't swerve into like a like a shrug. Like, I don't know. Maybe it was real. Like Nate already kind of said that it really did send me through the roof the The scale if the scale was taken out I, I I actually would have put that ending in my good as soon as they find the scale it just it just sends me through the roof in terms of like I hate this wishy-washy like it's up to your own interpretation especially with a movie that's already like not that deep so I guess you know that that was like a cliff notes version of my of my bad. Um, I, I I just <laughs> Nate and I were talking off mic. It's a <laughs> long hour. <laughs> it's it's an hour. It's the shortest movie we've ever done on here, and but it felt like the longest. It felt longer than Waterworld when we did <laughs> Waterworld. <laughs> I, I felt like it. I paused it so many times to check the timestamp just to be like how much time do I have left on this? Like, I I just, I didn't know. It feels like a failed masters of horror episode. I I, I just, I'm trying to give as many like analogies Mm -hmm. as to how I felt. Uh, It felt like, like a a knockoff Takashi Miki kind of episode of masters of horror. Um, What I will bring to the table is, do you guys think, If we drop the guinea pig name off of this, that this is maybe not more successful but better received by individuals because then you're not going into it. I went into it with a like – I was ready for some shit. So maybe I was just let down. I was mainly bored instead of repulsed whereas I went into it thinking guinea pig. This is going to be some shit that's going to be stomach-turning and hard to sit through. And so my reaction to it is is predicated upon knowing that it's a guinea pig movie and thinking I was getting into some really repulsive shit when in fact I mean this this was some PG shit on the on the scale of really disgusting shit.
2: Well, I think that there's a couple things here. Number one, Adam, you mentioned how the worms are gross, and I distinctly remember the first time we watched and you and I watched this movie, you going, Man, that's fucking gross. When, the wor- when she's, like, puking up worms and shit. Yeah. I distinctly remember that. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. If we put this in the context of 1988, this had... I- I'm imagining this is pretty shocking, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there were... There were much better uses of, like you mentioned, Cronenberg, right? The fly is disgusting at the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like even to this day, that stands like head and shoulders above other things, right? As far as practical use effects and how horrific and disgusting that is. And successfully incorporating that level of shocking imagery into a cohesive, good storyline, right? Right. Um, but when you're just looking at this from like being out in 1988, um, I could imagine that, yeah, this pro, if, if, if seeing this in the 90s, we laugh about Charlie Sheen and Flower of Flesh and Blood, but you know, it, it is fairly shocking in that context. Removed from that, like, so Guinea Pig, ha- I think Guinea Pig has an outdated reputation of being shocking. Um, it, it doesn't stand up anymore because now in 2021, I can go find the real fucking thing, right? If I want to fucking go see somebody get cut up with a chainsaw, give me five minutes, not even on live leak. And I can find you multiple fucking examples of it. Right. And it's almost to the point that it's like, it's, banal and that's what's so shocking about it today is that like the banality of that sort of thing right that we we can we actually joke about something like two girls one cup when if you showed that to somebody in the 50s are you kidding me their head would fucking explode right if you show grandma in the 50s two girls one cup their head would explode but when that was a big thing however long ago that was 10 15 years ago like It was, it was a laugh track on YouTube, right? You don't need, you know, watch, watch my gram, watch this horrific, horrific video. Right. So I think that the, the, the notoriety of guinea pig as being shocking anymore is outmoded and outdated and probably undeserved. Um, it's the notoriety of guinea pig for me anymore is, um, like novelty, right? Even Cannibal Holocaust does, has more of a shocking notoriety because the scenes of animal abuse in Cannibal Holocaust are definitely real, right. right? And the same thing for a lot of those Italian exploitation films, like that sort of stuff is definitely real, and that still holds. In fact, probably more so than in the seventies the and eighties. Like nobody wants to see, you know, a turtle get fucking chopped up, or like you know, a coati get you know, you know, gutted and stabbed on a riverbank callously for a movie, right? It's not. It's not the imagery. It's the thought that that's the, the cruelty just for a gasp that the director would do that. Right. So I don't think that like I think that anymore the guinea pig series doesn't deserve its label as being shocking. Um, it deserved it at a time. Um, so that's that's my take on that. And, and like the bad with this, it's too long. Half an hour. Right. The neighbors are fucking pointless. I don't. What are they in there for? Comic relief to the very poor effect. The neighbors are fucking pointless. They're fucking clueless because there's no way in the world they don't hear the screams. And <laughs> and, and like they, they talk about how it stinks like fish. Like there's no way in the world that that this shit drags on that long. Um, the, the movie moves along at such a slow pace, documenting the mermaids decay and. Uh, for no other reason than to like amp up the shock value. There's no reason that we need to see basically every stage of growth with the pustules. Um, You know, we get it that this guy's probably fucking nuts in the beginning because he's spending time in a sewer, right? He's, he's obviously crazy. We don't need to watch his descent into madness. I I don't know. Like in retrospect, you know, 25 year old me or, or 20 year old me wanted to see this movie Uh, For the same reason that a lot of people wanted because guinea pig was supposedly shocking and guinea pig was supposedly, you know, uh, over the top. And now 20 years later, I don't give a shit. Um, I didn't find it that shocking in the context of like reality, real reality, the the (laughs) shit that I can easily see. I didn't find the story terribly interesting. I don't think that it deserves more. um, I don't think it deserves more credit. Then, you know, just a passing glance at like the supposed depth of the tale of this guy, you know, going crazy because his wife's got stomach cancer and she's pregnant and he mutilates her and he's lost his muse and that sort of thing. That's fine. Like I said before, I think that that was an app. Af- it seems to me that that's an afterthought um, in the production of the movie. And Man, I am 100 percent on board. I forgot about the fish scale thing at the end. That is such a weak ass cop out if they would have there's there's literally no reason for the movie to continue past the point that it's exposed that he killed his dead wife there's no reason to continue the movie for that 10 minutes after where they're talking to the neighbors and they they show the police and anything like that the movie should have ended when it, when he was like in a hallucinatory days tapping his, his wife's corpse with a fucking with with the fucking knife after dismembering her there's no reason for the movie to go a second longer than that Okay, so
0: <laughs> this is what I will add as far as the bat. I do agree with you guys about the neighbors. The neighbors are pretty perfunctory and kind of irritating, so whatever. Their, their role doesn't need to really necessarily be in there or it needs to be tweaked. Um, I don't mind the length of it. I like the idea of it kind of like drawing it out and making it more like, you know, laborious to watch the body decay again. I don't think also the whole subtext that I was describing was an afterthought. I think that from what I know of, um, the, the, uh, the panorama of hell, which was the man- manga or whatever, uh, you know, mangas that this was inspiration for. I think that was intent in the, the writing. Um, and it's, it's a part of the writer's background as far as trying to imbue what he's doing with some sort of like parable, And so that's why I don't mind the whole ending and all that. Like, because to me, it's, it's, it's a dark fairy tale, whatever. So that's just what I'll add to it. You know, uh, the, the neighbors suck, whatever. The other thing I will say is it is interesting that the, the sounds, and I didn't even think about this until I was actually reading YouTube comments about this movie where the sounds that are being made when he cuts the body are almost like mortal Kombat punching sounds Right, exactly. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting choice for uh, sound design, as far as that goes. Um, so, yeah, um, those those are my bads, essentially. So, um, that being said, unless you have anything else to add to the pile, do we have any questions? Do you have any questions or uh, theoreticals about this?
2: <laughs> Theoretically, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go no, ahead. Go, go right ahead because you sound like you're going to say something better than me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Theor-
1: theoretically, so uh, the uh, body horror on on paper, as we know it, is this idea of uh, the human body failing us, and mm-hmm. and the fear of what happens, um, maybe post mortem with decay, and and that and that playing out over the course of a film, and the fly to great effect shows you that. Mm-hmm. And the, my favorite thing of a, of a body horror movie, which Cronenberg has perfected at this point is watching the evolution of the decay. Uh, Jeff Goldblum goes through it gradually. You see fingernails start to peel off. You see it, but eventually it leads to like, you know, his lower jaw falling off and there's like, I don't even know. Maybe Nate can help me with this. A mandible or some shit. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. coming out like that that stuff is is great. There was there was no gradient with with this. It was I it was just zoom in on pustules after zoom in on pustules. They needed to up the ante. I like so if I in for, for this section in theory if I were to Better this movie or update it to today's disgusting standards. Uh, you have to have him have sex with that fucking thing.
0: <laughs> you have to have him yeah, fuck sure. the mermaid. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, I
1: don't I, want I to like, see a dick busting through a pustule. I want to <laughs> see worms wrapping around a cock. Like, I, I need to see a really disgusting sex scene. And I thought this was get. I thought this was going there and it just never, it just never went there. I think it it needs to up the ante for today's.
2: The the beginning of the movie, definitely there seems to be like this romantic intent between the mermaid and the painter. Um, I think that there's, showing just showing the ever expanding pustules, but they don't really change. They don't, they don't, nothing else really seems to go wrong with her. Like if parts of her fell, like, okay. At the end, the mermaid rips out a chunk of her hair and pulls some scalp with it. Right. That's effective. And it's effective in the same way that, you know, like the fly, when you see Jeff Goldblum's fingernails coming off and he's putting them on the He's like looking at it curiously and he's watching himself from his own sort of like, Almost as if a third person viewer of his own body falling apart, and he's pulling teeth out, and it's an amusement at first, and then it's a horror, right? Um, so you get to see, I think, if 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 you if she f- actually started to fall apart, right, that that would be much more effective than just showing pustules. Um, I mean, whatever, they probably work with whatever budget they have. I'm sure they didn't have Cronenberg's fucking budget when he did those movies, <laughs> but uh, you know, like they just if you want to show me gross body failure, then let's give me more than postules. And another thing, those postules never covered her boobs. Always got to show the boobs. That's true. Good point. Um, Yeah. I noticed that like, as they crept up, the one thing they never covered, (laughs) the one thing they never covered were those B cups, Um, (laughs) you know? And, and, and I think that, you know, if, if they just would have pushed it a little bit more with an interesting take on the gradual decay of her, instead of just every time that there's a new scene, they cover, the postures cover another six inches of her torso. So what? Right. I don't know. Yeah. I think that, uh, that, that, that made it kind of like, Okay, as soon as I see the pustules on her abdomen, I know what the rest of her is gonna look like by the end of the movie.
0: Yeah, I'll give you that. I will say that yes, the most effective display of the of the, the decay and the body horror was when the hair gets pulled off of the scalp, for sure. Mm-hmm. That was done to, to pretty good effect. Um, so yeah, I mean I don't really have any questions myself. I have an actual question, so I can yeah. salvage
1: this. This section of it, instead of do. just continue to <laughs> dunk on this, <laughs> dunk on this movie. Uh, an honest question, and this is the question that I had until they found the mermaid scale. That's what makes me so mad. How do the neighbors not know? Because she's so fucking nosy. She sees. She's like the Newman of this apartment complex. Mm-hmm. She <laughs> sees the bathtub being installed. But nobody ever sees him drag the mermaid into the apartment. Like so my initial question was how does he get mermaid from sewer to apartment with nobody noticing? But then I realize it was never it was never moved to begin yeah. with Full uh, fantasy. because every everything was already because it was his it was his okay. wife who was already dead and there was nothing to be moved into the apartment. So that's why the scale makes me so mad. Because then it's like, why do you insinuate that there was um, this mermaid to begin with, or that that aspect of it, what had any sort of reality to it?
2: Yeah, and, and and also another another thing related to that is, why the fuck is he going down in the sewer in the first place? The neighbors think that his wife is estranged, and you know he's. It almost seems as if they, they think it's, you know, good for him. He's keeping it up. But the one nosy neighbor is worried, like, where is he going with that torch, with that flashlight? And he goes down to the sewer supposedly for, I guess, inspiration to get back to, you know, his childhood inspiration and his muse when he was young. But I don't know. It, it, uh, it beggars belief that this guy is going in and out of the sewer and no one sees him doing this. Right? And that he's not covered in fucking filth given all the filth that was down there in that sewer to begin with, and that nobody is concerned about that, especially his neighbors who apparently watch his every move.
0: Well, yeah, but you already said he's going down in the sewers because he's insane.
2: Yeah, but, but, but nobody knows that is my point. Like he's somehow getting down in the sewers in secret, wearing white com- and not coming up covered in fucking shit and whatever else. Right. Um, it's kind of related to, to, to the, to the mermaid thing, you know, where, you know, did he actually move her up there or not?
0: Or to answer maybe possibly that question, maybe his wife was just a mermaid. And she (laughs) transformed back and forth between human and mermaid form. Kind of like a a, a splash scenario.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or like, if (laughs) he really gave a damn, why not take the mermaid somewhere else other than that horrible fetid sewer or the uh, pus infected tub at his tiny apartment? (laughs) Right.
0: Well, and again, to, to go back to talking about like the YouTube comments, which are generally either, you know, hilarious or completely, you know, you know, stupid some other person said like i just couldn't help feeling like the whole time i was watching this why didn't he put more water on her during this whole time yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) he doesn't change her water out at all during the whole the whole time (laughs) no
2: and then then he's he's wondering why she gets sicker and sicker yeah
0: okay well uh if that's going to be it, we're going to move right along since uh, I feel like we've had uh, uh, an ample discussion about this, unless you guys have anything else to add.
2: No, I don't think that there's a lot to add to this movie as far you know, it it, it doesn't require the, uh, the the depth of questioning <laughs> that, that others might.
0: Fair enough. OK, so we're going to move on to our words and categories section here of the podcast. <laughs> And topping off uh, this part, we like to talk about quotes. Now, this is another one of those instances that happens you know, frequently when we're watching foreign films where sometimes the quotability is lacking, I would say, especially with this movie. It's, it's even more so because there's not, <laughs> not a whole lot of dialogue or discussion going on. Um, so, I mean, I think I'm probably the only one that can actually ha- have a quote here. And for me, it was when he says... Or when she says, you will paint me with the seven colors of pus.
2: So, so, uh, okay. So uh, that, this was going to be my quote as well. Um, because when he's trying to clean her up and she's talking about how there's pus, you know, and he's got to paint. In the version that I was watching, in the uh, subtitles, it called them pups. Same.
1: So, same here. I was <laughs> so, legitimately confused. There's yeah.
2: pups. There's pups inside the boils. You must paint me with the pups, okay. and uh, I yep, kind of took it. Aw- <laughs> At first, I was like, "Is he talking about the worms that eventually erupt yeah. from from the pustules, the little pups?" But uh, <laughs> that makes more sense that it, it is actually pus, and it's just uh, a spelling error. I thought it was an error in translation, as opposed to just an error in. Uh, typing perhaps yeah, same
1: yeah mine i had we had the same <laughs> subtitles apparently because i that stood out to me as like weird yeah
2: In i didn't notice I it sheet i think it's better if it's pups right why
1: no shit i was stoked i was like what are we
2: about to see here (laughs) exactly like pups is more mysterious especially p-u-p-p-s he was painting me with the seven the seven colored pups in my body all -hmm. right now we're getting somewhere (laughs) now we're now we're moving yeah uh
0: yeah i don't know I, i i would imagine that what copy I saw was the same as y'all's because you know, it's basically the same version has been replicated, you know, onto the internet and torrented, you know, like basically there's, as as far as I know, the only ones that actually have been mass produced, you know, in physical form is the box set that, you know, you have Nate. And then Mm -hmm. there was individually, um, uh, replicated versions, which had like, um, two movies on each DVD, uh, and the one with this is it's the mermaid in the manhole. And I think he never dies. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so I didn't notice it, but yes, that's interesting that you guys brought that up. The, the pups, no pups. though, absolutely no pups in this, unless you're talking about warm pups.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> yes. And oh, there he is. So I'm watching it right now. And then she says, you must paint me with the seven colored pups. I mean, mi- I completely missed that. Well, there you go. That's, that's a good
0: quote then. Um, Best scene and worst scene in the movie. So for me, the best scene is basically like when she's convulsing. There's that one particular moment when in slow motion where she's just convulsing repeatedly. And it gets a lot, you know, really close, closes in on all the pus, pus, you know, bursting out of her body. And then, the, you know, you know, and then it gets into like the worms falling out and then the viscera, basically that whole aspect of the movie. That's what that's what I had. So I don't know if you guys had anything different.
2: Yeah, I think that the best scene is sort of that final decomposition at the end Mm -hmm. um, before he starts dismembering her. Mm -hmm. And she's really like her face is falling apart. Like I said before, when she starts pulling at her scalp and ripping off chunks and, you know, she's really – ragged at the end I think because I'm watching it right now and when she's pulling on the hair to the prosthetic the whole thing shifts <laughs> so it kind of looks like all of her skin wants to slough off or something and, and it adds like another layer of just sort of like oh that's kind of gross I think that's the best scene is that climactic scene at the end and 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 honestly that's why I feel like this movie should not have gone any longer than it did like I, I don't feel like we need to get any exposition further with the neighbors discovering the body and calling the cops and all that sort of thing, I, I don't, I don't know if we, if, if you know, I think the neighbors discovering him chopping at his wife's body that should be at the fucking end and just let you take away what you will with it. Uh, that the whole thing was hallucination instead of the cheap gimmick at the end. Yeah, what do you got, Pat?
1: The best scene for me was what, which is. Kind of the ham-fisted nature of this, which is when within the first five minutes of the movie, he goes into the sewer and finds the mermaid in a manhole, which <laughs> yeah. is hilarious. Yeah, 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 they, yeah. They decided. It's so literal, right? It's so literal. And but, when he grabs- I, but that's my favorite still. I, I, yeah. I do because I still had hope at that
2: point. So
1: it was my favorite.
2: And also when he apparently finds his lost chibi, his little pet that <laughs> yes. went down in the sewer right, and right, picks yeah. up it's, yeah. <laughs> he picks up it, its decaying corpse you can't tell if, what it is dog, cat, guinea pig, you don't Rodent, know yeah. <laughs> and he picks it up and he's like rubbing it on his yeah. face and like smooching it and it's like you know, you nasty motherfucker.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, make making out with this uh, sewage riddled rodent.
2: <laughs> you know, there's another scene in here that's really bewildering too, and that's when he brings the the bloody black bag of trash out. Talk about a plot hole mm. with the fish head in it, right? Mm-hmm. And the neighbor sees the fish head, mm-hmm. and she indicates that the fish w- was eaten in one bite, mm-hmm. right? Um, when she's talking to, you know, her partner at the table there. And that's another, another thing that's in there. It's like, why, why is that in there? What, Mm -hmm. what is the point of that? You know, obviously it's to try to, you know, I guess like, like make the neighbor suspicious that something's weird going on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But just like the fish scale at the end, there's an actual fish head that supposedly she says has been eaten with one bite. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it's, it doesn't really make a lot of sense either.
0: Well, okay. So what, what are your bad scenes? If you guys haven't already
2: talked ad nauseum about basically the whole movie, right? Bad scene, the whole movie. Fuck this, this movie. Any scene involving the neighbors, I can't right. stand. Yeah. Any the, scene involving the neighbors, I don't want to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, the last, uh, probably the last seven minutes of the movie. Yeah, the um, the, the, the reveal with the fish scale seems to be yeah, and all around stupid. Um, I think those are the worst scenes, and and I really don't like the painter at all. I don't find him sympathetic. So any scene where it's kind of focusing on his his anguish and his personal horror, I'm just which is most of the movie. Um, I just don't find it. I, I I don't I don't like him. I don't like the way he's portrayed. I don't like anything about it. Um, I, I is it just me? Or is it in a lot of Japanese movies where there's like a middle-aged man? This is obviously this isn't a salary man, but a middle-aged man who's also like a completely inept coward. Yeah. Right. No, I I feel like that is a trope for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And I just get tired of that trope in Japanese movies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like a suicidal, like down on his luck really dumpy coward yeah
2: yeah that that just that is just like clinging to like whatever rags of humanity he still has i feel like it's just really tired i think it really gets overplayed here where like every time a postural bursts on her he's like oh oh and he like runs over to her you know are you okay and and you know no you must paint you must paint he's Torn, but he always chooses the wrong thing. Right, <laughs> rather than not dismembering his wife with cancer, he chooses to dismember her and abort her fetus and uh, paint it. That's well, that's the
1: other Japanese thing that is—is yeah.
2: is this obsession
1: with abortions, uh, back alley abortions, <laughs> fetuses? It's like a—it's like a running theme in a lot of a lot of Japanese horror, like Takashi Miki's Master of Horror episode imprint. Has an entire river full of aborted fetuses. So it's like the, the <laughs> crux of the entire fucking movie. I don't, they have a, a, a weird obsession with that. Man, well, it
2: sounds like, it sounds like uh, these different like Focus and the Family Foundation should use that for propaganda or something. I would totally watch, I would totally watch pro life propaganda films if they were like, you know, watched like a cannibal corpse video with fucking hell yeah. of fetuses. Hell
0: yeah. Well, and I was going to add to that also rape. Rape seems to be also yeah. a, a common obsession um, in Japanese horror specifically.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's always like a lot of times if it's not like the total complete maniac, you know, that's like I'm licking a knife or something like that. It's always like the timid, oh, 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 but he's so oversexed. He just can't help himself because like he's a Ichi. monster and his, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah
0: yeah well it's funny that you mentioned the whole like focus on the family type of propaganda video but you know that's exactly how in a lot of ways i kind of discovered some bands when i was growing up because i had a really good friend of mine who was the son of a pastor and he <laughs> would get like these christian propaganda videos that would just have all these rad fucking bands on them like- and <laughs> 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 i mean it was stuff that like Because I was raised pretty fairly (laughs) agnostic or like, you know, just with this vague idea of Christianity. Like I was never committed to anything when I was a teenager. So, like, I was already pretty deep into, like, metal and punk, but then, like, I would watch these videos, and I'd be like, oh, like, they'd, it would have, like, a Bauhaus video, and, like, it'd have, like, possessed songs, and I'd be like, this is sick, dude, like, I would watch it for fun.
2: Yeah, for <laughs> yeah, real, I <laughs> want to see those videos, I want to yeah. see those propaganda films now,
0: right? Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, they totally, like, backfired, of course, you know, in many ways, um, but I wanted Thanks to say... pro-life propaganda. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Thanks. Thanks, Christian propaganda uh, for making me even more of a sadist and, and you know, (laughs) it's awful shit. Um, making me even more on Christian as possible, but, um, cause when I, when I learned that, like, Oh, homos are going to hell
1: and like all these rad people are going to hell. is like, sounds Shit, like
2: the best place. That's right. the party. That's the fucking party. Yeah. capital. They got the best music. They got the babes. No fucking rules. Stay up all night. Party, do whatever. God, you damn. Want.
0: Yeah. That, wow. how do I go to hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the, yeah, the most direct <laughs> way there. <laughs> sounds rad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to say, because you kind of brought it up when you were talking about like the, the, the bumbling meat kind of, you know, middle-aged, uh, you know, trope and especially with this is when he keeps asking her, like, are you all right? Like it's clear. She's not not all right. She's She's not all right. right. (laughs) She's in, she's in real bad shape, dude. (laughs) Like. Sorry, you ain't, you ain't bringing this one back. <laughs> sure.
2: I feel like, are you all right? What's wrong? And he, like, picks up her fucking severed arm or something. You know. oh.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, when he's that sopping up the pustules with the fucking towel, it's, like, the most, uh, like, inept, like, futile yeah. thing you could possibly be doing. And he runs back down, tries to wring it out, and then it's, like, sopping up more shit. It's, like, what is this? What are you doing? You need to get, he, I needed, like, a scene where he, she's in the fucking – tub and he's like checking ph like levels and shit like exactly. that's what he needed
2: to be doing checking, like, checking, checking the health of his aquarium right <laughs> yeah, i see a scene where he finds an apartment that makes sense for even a single person to live in instead of just like a room upstairs with apparently no running water a Ooh. tiny crawl space of a stairway downstairs where i guess there's at least a faucet
0: right <laughs> like, like get the fuck out of there dude but that's also I mean that is Japanese housing like you know when I went over there that's that's how they're all built I mean they're obviously like everybody has kind of had to be built on top of each other but yeah I mean it's definitely not a place for more than one person <laughs> but let alone a man in a bathtub full of <laughs> rotting mermaid <laughs> um yeah so Okay, so as far as uh, further categories, we've got the uh, Dahmer, hardly newer for the most killer performance. And again, this is one of those instances where we have like four people in the cast, and two of them are pretty inconsequential. So for me, this goes to the actress playing the mermaid, which is Marie
2: Somme. So. Yeah. I think th- I think that that's the only one, the only the only person that you can recognize it not being totally at fault in this movie.
1: <laughs> I'm in agreeance, especially for the level of dedication she had to do to sit through all of that makeup for right. hours and days on end. Yeah,
0: she gets the fucking award. Yeah, yeah. For, for sure. And then uh, the next one is the Michael Rooker Award for the most evil fucker. Well, I guess the painter because just I mean, I, he's a murderer. He's a psychopathic murderer and you know he's kept this poor mermaid well beyond her her sell by date
2: <laughs> yeah like <laughs> no matter <laughs> no matter what he's in the wrong whether it's a mermaid or his wife who's pregnant and got stomach like late stage stomach cancer no matter what this guy's in the fucking wrong <laughs>
0: he's he's the bad
2: man I went like, with the nosy neighbor. <laughs> oh,
1: <okay>. really? <laughs> that's a good, that's a good swerve. I just, yeah. I, people, people need to mind their own fucking business outside of like, you guys know the serial killer, uh, John list. He's not a serial yeah. killer. He killed his entire family.
2: Yeah. Uh, I heard, I heard the that. name.
1: Sure. Yeah. He, he killed his entire family in like Westfield, New Jersey, and then moved to Colorado. And like, he was, he was on a manhunt. They were on a manhunt for him for like 30 years. And then eventually like John Walsh did like a, what would would he look like now? And the only reason any of this happened is because his nosy ass fucking neighbor was like, I don't like that John List. Like he's, there's something wrong with that guy. And she religiously watched, you know, America's Most Wanted and saw that and was like, that's John, that's John. And he was caught because of her. Outside yeah. of maybe that scenario, people just need to mind their own fucking business in terms of like constantly being like, "Did you see the new tub that our neighbors got?"
2: <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> get being get John Lewis, thinking you got away scot free, and you just happen to turn on, yeah, fucking, you, you just happen to turn on, uh, you know, who was that Walsh guy? I'm um, John um, Walsh. John Walsh. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was his television show? America's Most America's Wanted. Most Wanted. I mean, you you, you used to turn Walsh. on, because you know John List watched America's Most Wanted, right? You oh, know sure. he fucking did. Wouldn't,
0: all of us, if we were in that position, we'd be watching all those shows like well, regularly. Like, oh, I, I'm also, I'm also <laughs> saying
2: that John List watched it just so he could like look at those evil fucks. On the show, and be like, good, that fucker got what's coming to him. You know what I mean? Completely <laughs> yeah. unself aware. M- morally high road all the other ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he's watching America's Most Wanted, and the episode with him comes on, and it shows like the artist's interpretation of age progression. <laughs> he goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, like right away, just seeing it, it now.
0: It reminds me of there's that Mr. Show skit where, like, it's just a real brief one where it's like the FBI comes to an old man's house and they call him on the phone and he's like, old man, are you OK? And he's like, hello? Yes, I'm in my house. And he's like, oh, I'm on television. Goodbye. It's like that's how the guy would be.
2: It's, oh, I'm on television. <laughs> yeah. I wonder I wonder if he started packing immediately like so a <laughs> That neighbor
1: called like that like within seconds of that, that shit Eric. Like <laughs> But but also like he killed his entire family like before Adam Walsh was decapitated, like decades mm. before. So John Walsh started America's Most Wanted because his son was found decapitated and right. I think sexually mutilated outside of a mall in Florida. Right. And uh, mm. so I mean John List's family had been dead for Decades up to that point, so I think the advent of America's Most Wanted probably scared the shit out of him when it happened because mm. he'd been pretending to be a line cook in Colorado for like <laughs> twenty years at that point. Yeah, he assuredly <laughs> thought he got away with it, Dude.
2: and he re- he remarried. Yeah, <laughs> and like the artistic, the artistic like age progression that they used to find him. There's no way he saw that on TV and thought, "Shit, that's the spitting image of me." Right now. <laughs>
1: They didn't even use, because it's so early on in America's Most Fun, they didn't even use digital interpretation, they used like a clay figure and they had someone like shave the jowls down and
0: add like fucking stupid glasses and shit. Yeah, so now I remember that. I remember watching a Forensic Files about this guy and them going in depth about like talking to the art artist that rendered that clay sculpture of him and how that was such a breakthrough in forensic science that he was able to (laughs) to get that. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah. yeah, I'm looking at the picture right now. Like you know, if he saw that, there's no way in hell he thought that could be anybody. <laughs>
1: also, if you're if you're John List, change your fucking glasses. Like I real. know he like he had the same glasses he had when he murdered his entire family. Like go to a Lenscrafters, change your fucking glasses. You're still on the lamb. Like I know he was probably super secure in knowing that he got away with it, but the glasses were the kicker because it was like, well this guy's perfunctory and probably set in his way. So he probably never updated his glasses. So they kept the same fucking frames and the, the, the neighbor was like, that's fucking, that's John. That's John. Although he <laughs> changed his name. I can't remember what he changed his name to. She wasn't saying that's John. She was saying his alias or whatever, but
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to, Har- to tie- <laughs> Harvey Wallbanger.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's how we got that famous uh, drink. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, to, um, but to tie it back around to these neighbors, how, the, that's the worst shit for me, and yeah. she's the most evil fucker for sure. But how you fix the neighbors and make them fun is you put that Seinfeld slap bass on it every time they cut back <laughs> to the neighbors. <laughs> every fucking time. Just like but up and up and great. Have the have that dude slide into the room like Kramer and be like, Did you see the blood in the hallway? Like <laughs> I think our new neighbors are up to some shit.
0: Yeah. yeah. So when when somebody remakes this movie, <laughs> when they decide to remake it now, take take heed of our. Uh our uh, criticism here and uh, <laughs> the details you should be adding to the updated version. <laughs> um, yeah, or, or or
2: simply don't remake it. <laughs> I thought
0: I did see a remade version of it, but I, I think it was something completely different. But yeah, I buy
2: into
1: uh, Cronenberg mermaid in a manhole. Oh, like yeah, from yeah, Twenty yeah. years ago, though, like sure. I, I yeah. he's probably not up to up to par to do it right now. No, but I, think I don't wanna, at the I don't want to see any hour, new Cronenberg
0: either. <laughs> yeah i mean for history sure. of violence fucking ruled <laughs> eh, i was lukewarm on that that's we'll, we'll leave it at that that's because uh, you're <laughs> a vigo mortensen bigot <laughs> yeah a vigoist um vigo- you're a vigoist uh aside from what you just said about maybe uh recasting some members of the seinfeld <laughs> cast do we have any recasts uh fantasy recasts for
2: this movie uh, Daryl Hannah is the mermaid. There you go. <laughs> that's a good one. Right. I mean, that's obvious, right? Let's or let's just, do a I wanna see I wanna see a remake of Splash, but it's like this. Mermaid in a manhole. Yeah.
1: Well this yeah, this just could be the sequel. <clears throat> splash to Mermaid in a manhole. <laughs> <laughs> right,
2: right,
0: right. Perfect. <laughs> there we go. Um Okay, so that brings us to the wiki wormhole where we talk about the fun tidbits about this movie. There's there's definitely some juicy ones we kind of already touched upon, but at the top we have the body count. So I guess like for me I counted three. Um, so I the way I did that math was the mermaid, the painter's wife, and their baby. Sure. So three, three. And Chibi. Oh. oh, and Chibi. Yeah, can't Chibi's forget Chibi. Four. We got four. Bing, bing, what about the bing, dead bing. fish? No, uh, we might've been dead before he got that's it. Sure. You're right. Right. So four, so four. Yeah. Thank you for including Chibi because we try to be very conscientious of all species being included on the body count. <laughs> yeah, I, I
2: really, I, I want I, I'm much more interested in the death of Chibi than I am in anybody else that was in this movie. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's for sure.
0: Let's get some, get some backstory on Chibi. Um, So we pretty much already kind of talked at length about how, you know, the notoriety of this film being related to Charlie Sheen uh, thinking that uh, The Flowers of Flesh and Blood was a genuine snuff film. And that led to essentially an international investigation into this movie. And pretty much as soon as the FBI said it, they were like, what the fuck? Yeah, this is clearly not (laughs) real. Okay, guy, go back to your fucking coke pile. So there's that, you know, that that's worth uh, I guess re-mentioning. One thing that I thought was really interesting that I did not know about this is that apparently uh one of the entries in the guinea pig series seemed to be an uh inspiration for a notorious Japanese serial killer who kidnapped and murdered 4 young girls. The Otako
2: murderer. Yeah. Yeah, his name oh. is uh what Sutomu Miyazaki. Yeah. Yeah. And that so, was Flower of Flesh and Blood again, right? Um, that uh, you know, it's interesting about this is the Devil's Experiment and the Flower and Flesh and Blood are basically the same movie, right? Um, in 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 their content and, and so forth, they're both pure shock value. Um, you know, with the Devil's Experiment, um, I, I as I was reading a synopsis of this movie, I remembered, you know, is basically a, a group of guys, right? Kidnapping a woman and then torturing her um, in a bunch of different ways. And in Flower Flesh and Blood, it's just one. Right. Mm. And um, I don't know. Flower of Flesh and Blood seem to like, again, maybe we just ascribe it more meaning, but it has that super corny song about devils and hell on Earth and that sort of thing in it when it's like panning over the obviously jar like fake jars of eyeballs and like dismembered hands and like and and, and the uh various trophies and paraphernalia in the torturer's uh, slaughter room yeah uh
0: what is also interesting about this i had no idea about this was the actress that played the mermaid um she apparently just mysteriously disappeared after the making of this movie she, what? yeah she she was known for being basically like a soft, uh, softcore porn actress, um, like pink films. You know, I think that's what they call them, like Japanese mm-hmm. pink films. Um, and that was, you know, where her career kind of came from and led her to doing this. And then, yeah, she's not been seen since the making of this. They never found her. Nope, she's been gone since 1988.
2: And someone, someone called John Walsh. Yeah Yeah
1: Let's get John Walsh On the blower Jesus Christ
2: Let's get an age progression Of Mary Somme And we'll have her In a few minutes here Yeah and then like get
0: the fin Off of her Like somehow I just want to hear The update music From like Unsolved Mysteries Dun 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 Update Update
2: So I didn't know that about I did not know that about Mary Somme either Um that's odd. Yeah. So that gives it
0: a little bit more of a creepy kind of like, you know, veneer, I guess. That's chilling. Yeah. That's Weird. Um, I did want to give a shout out to the practical effects guy because I, I think they are admirable. I know like, you know, we we're kind of a little bit in a disagreement, but I thought they were pretty good for this given the budget and budgetary constraints. But it was a guy named uh, Nobuaki Kogu. Koga, sorry, Koga. Sorry for butchering oh, here that name. Here we go. Yeah, do here I we need go. To do damage <laughs> control. I know, I know. You know I, I sh- Do you want me to do <laughs> damage control?
1: <laughs>
0: I know we should have prefaced by saying yes. There might be some butchering of Japanese names throughout this episode, but
2: yes. Onichiwa
1: to all of our new <laughs> Japanese
2: <laughs> listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I I agree with the practical effects. I think I, I'm I'm a fan of practical effects right. um, all the way. Um, I, I really I don't know, man. I guess you can make some pretty cool, cool looking things. I mean, obviously with digital effects and so forth. But when it comes to horror, I like I like the um, like I said earlier how it it has a more um, I guess tactile realness and the awkwardness and it also you know it also forces you like the 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 the, the, you know it forces the production to i guess not show everything here's 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 a good example the thing one of my favorite movies right 1982 john Carpenter's the thing it's one of my favorite movies uh the dog scene with the dog pen when everybody discovers that something's fucking wrong is one of my favorite scenes in any horror movie right when uh, you know he says he comes in and he says I don't know what it is but it's weird and pissed off and you know the the fucking the, its head like peels back like a banana and the skull drops out and the tongue comes out yeah, yeah. and all the crab legs come out and it obviously looks fake Right, but that also to me makes it creepier because if you saw something like that that was so awkward and alien moving that y- your brain couldn't wrap around, you know, what what it is you're looking at, I think it adds to that. And then you look at the thing that came out the 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 the, 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 the it wasn't a sequel, it's a prequel, it turns right. out, but like that came out I don't know what like eight years ago or so, it's like 2011, yeah, right. Um You know, I went and saw that thinking, oh, this is going to be really good. But they show all the money shots in a way that like you shouldn't like uh, that when the guy's head splits open at one point, I think in a helicopter and you get a good, clear view of this happening and you're like, well, that looks like a fucking cartoon. Right. That, that looks like a fucking cartoon, whereas in the original thing, the lighting and the camera angles and how the shot is framed and everything would have been totally different to make it because they had to to make it look more real. That makes it scarier than just giving me full on close ups of all the slick things that the digital effect gives you. Um, so I am I, a big fan in my horror movies, especially of practical effects, because I think even when they look kind of hokey, that also makes them creepier and they look cooler.
0: Yeah, for my money, I will always take <clears throat> shitty, uh, shitty to well done practical effects over most CGI.
2: Yeah, yeah. M-
0: more often than not. So yeah, um, and then finally, I there's not a lot to dig up on this, honestly. But uh, we made mention of the panorama of, of Hell manga that these were based off of. I actually like don't own them. I, I looked them up at, uh, after I watched the movie because I was like, oh, I want a copy and. Much like the uh, movies themselves, they fetch a pretty pennies so or they're they're pretty salty. Um, but at some point, I would like to get my hands on the Panorama, panorama
2: of Hell uh, mangas. That, oh yeah, uh, those are pretty li- pricey. Just out of curiosity, I looked for like the Guinea Pig box set on eBay, and it was it so, was pulling a pretty nice price. Yeah, it's like three hundred bucks, three <laughs> yeah. or four hundred bucks. I was like, oh,
0: okay, well, I guess because I was going to get it
2: for this, I was like, nope,
0: going to hold off on that. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, Pat, you got anything to add to this, or are you uh, you good?
1: No, I, I uh, other than I always say no, and then I add something. That's a, a real <laughs> pet peeve of my own self critique. Uh, no, but I will add that um, I think this does it is better served as a manga. I'd actually be really mm-hmm. intrigued to read something that this movie, you know. <laughs> was based off of. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that sounds tight. I actually feel like that would be preferable, but, but that's all well, I have to. Well,
0: I was going to say of, of the, the three movies uh, that we have talked about on this pod uh, that come from Japan and also Hong Kong, well, no four. So four, three of them are all based off of manga. So Ricky o, uh each of the killer and this they're all they all have yeah. their origins in manga which makes sense you know it's a, yeah. it's it's a it's a format that you know i feel is you know it's beloved enough to find many reasons to adapt you know in their regions so but it's right. just like they all have that over the top nature you know so
1: and, and yeah s- you can tell in all three in different in different formats that they certainly are are pulled from from manga shit for sure Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: All right. So now we get to the point where we're gonna devise an iconography for this. We're gonna rate it out of five and give it a midnight or not midnight movie designation. So my friends, out of what five things do we rate this? What what would you choose being the uh, the iconography? For me, I would just say a, a oozing pustule. What uh what do you guys have? Chibis. Chibis? What do you mean? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, I like chibis, chibis or like singular mermaid scales or whatever the, the yeah, yeah
0: yeah
2: nosy neighbors,
0: nosy neighbors, <laughs> nosy neighbors is pretty good too for sure. Uh, uh, fake aborted fetuses. <laughs>
2: Sorry if you were going to say that next because you beat me to it. I was going to say
0: dead aborted babies, <laughs> dead aborted babies. I <laughs> do like chibi. That's a good one. Like let's let's hearken back to our our dear friend, our dearly departed friend Chibi. <laughs> Out of five chibi's uh pat what do you
1: give this this is this is going to be a first for this this is a 0 out of 5 chibi's <laughs> i can't i can't bring myself Oops. to give this a 1 i love I it i don't i can't give it a 1 it uh, i won't say it's the worst movie you've ever seen it's the worst movie i've seen for the purposes of this podcast and i you are in charge of the next episode and i'm going to need a palate cleanser my friend like if we don't do like, uh, oh, I don't I, even <laughs> it's like demolition, man. I'm going to fucking lose it. <laughs>
0: Zero chibis. Dude, I can't wait to bring it up because I feel like, I feel like you're going to break up with me after I talk about the next movie that we're going to be discussing. <laughs> yes. But anyways, uh, what do you no, give, no. Uh, out of, uh, how many chibis do you give this Nate? I give
2: it two. Um, uh, I give it two mostly for nostalgia. Um, I don't think it holds up. But I do, you know, there is part of me still that wants to appreciate it more than I do. Um, so I give it two chibis, Uh just because it was uh, it was a nice uh, it was a nice walk down memory lane. It's it's always interesting to revisit something that you used to maybe hold in a little higher regard, and then come back and see how it stands up. I don't yeah. think this really stood up, but I still I didn't I didn't um, I didn't hate it as much as as Pat. So I'm going to say two. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm going to be, you know, the one that gives this uh, a more or less uh, rave review and say four out of five chibis. I went away from watching this actually enjoying it much more than I remembered (laughs) it before.
2: (laughs) So you would actually give it a higher rating than than prior. Interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there we go. That's uh, this again. This is a midnight flicks first in a lot of ways. I'm glad that you gave it a zero, Pat, because... I didn't know when we would ever, if we would ever reach that point. And here we are. We made it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so. So would you guys rank this a midnight movie and where would you rank it on the midnight clock?
2: Um, this is 3.30 in the morning when you're barely paying attention anymore. And uh, you just kind of like, it's on as a background. It, it's, it's on at the end of the fucking night, right? You're on tour. There's two people still up on the fucking couch watching it. Everybody else is fucking cashed out. That's about it. Yeah. Nailed it. What do you yeah, think, Pat? That, that,
1: that's Same. perfect. Perfect summation. Yeah. It's one of those movies that you are, yeah, like if you were on tour and you're like asleep in the living room and you wake up to piss and this shit is just on because no one turned it off and it's like three in the morning yeah that's
0: exactly where this would land that is a point of agreement that I feel all three of us can definitely be upon is yes it's it's definitely got that vibe for me and I like the whole discussion we had about it being like a party movie and you know that that all rings true definitely for me so we can at least all agree upon that so that's good okay so Pat are you ready for your next slog I got I got a back-to-back choice this week I'm scared honestly so for next week this is going to be another midnight movie first because it's going to be our first musical God (laughs) fucking damn it (laughs) so we're going to watch (laughs) we're going to watch Richard Elfman's uh, Forbidden Zone for the next podcast I know nothing. You ever seen that? Uh, Absolutely nothing. So
1: I I can't be mad because I don't even know what I'm getting into.
0: What about you, Nate? Are you familiar with Forbidden Zone?
2: Uh, I don't think I am. Um, When was it made? 1980. 1980. Oh, okay. I am familiar with the artwork from Forbidden Zone. Okay. Um, But I have never actually seen this movie. So basically,
0: uh, Forbidden Zone was the uh, cinematic kind of uh, realization of what was the pre-Oingo Boingo uh, musical troupe called the Mystical Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Um, Danny Elfman and Richard Elfman, who are both brothers, obviously, were the founding founding members of the Mystical Knights of the Oingo Boingo. And at one point, Richard decided he wanted to... Uh, Focus more on his movie career, so he left the reins of leadership to his younger brother Danny, and then he went on to make uh, Forbidden Zone, which is basically a visual representation of what was their kind of their live their live act in 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 cinematic form. So we're gonna watch that.
1: Well, I like Oingo that looks Oingo. interesting.
0: I'll probably
2: watch that on my own accord. Cool. We'll have Nate back on next week.
0: <laughs> Let me just say this. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, sure he'd love it. Uh, I will say this. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Susan Tyrell, who's like the lead actress in it. But she is like one of my favorite B-movie actresses of all time. She's like absolutely fucking unhinged. And like really like if there's <clears throat> Pat, if there's any takeaway you have from this movie, I hope that it's you like that you like Susan Tyrell on this. So that's what we're going to watch.
1: Oh, maybe I'll develop a, a, a new crush. We haven't had a, and then, I haven't had a crush on somebody in a long time in the, in, for uh, cinematic purposes of this podcast.
0: Well, I'll tell you this, I have a crush on her and it's like one of those kind of crushes where you're almost like, you're definitely ashamed sort of that you have a crush <laughs> on her, <laughs> but I, I definitely have this weird, uh, film crush on Susan Tyrell. Um, so, and then after that, it's, uh, you get to choose. So you can have your, your revenge on me with whatever
2: you have up your sleeve. So, so, so do you guys get into one upsmanship then? Is is this the beginning of a one upsmanship, like an arms race to see <laughs> like who, a, who, who yeah. can, who can <laughs> offend the other's sensibilities enough?
0: No, I don't think that's ever the intent. It's just, this is just, I just basically what happens is like, I have a list and then like you know, like I have a pretty extensive list and then something might happen throughout my day to day life where I'm like, OK, I'm re- I am was reminded of this movie. That's the one that I want to watch. There's no like specific like, you know, yeah, ranking where I feel like, oh, we got to outdo ourselves with, you know, what we're doing. Sure. Sure. So I don't think that that's Pat's uh, intent either. No, so, I I won't punish you. No. <laughs> and i don't mean to punish you either i genuinely pick movies i'm like i want to I, I think like pat will like this and you know if he doesn't then it'll it's all the better like really it, it like today like this was a you know a fruitful discussion you know and i i like it better when people are are more or less at odds but can have a congenial respectful discussion about you know what what's at hand now yeah agree sure clearly
2: sure well, that's that's good. You know, I said I hadn't been watching many movies um, and I haven't. Um, I'm generally anymore not interested in movies, TV shows or stories about things that happened, could have happened or are happening. I don't really care about any of that. And so what I the things that I have been watching is uh, Amazon Prime had like some pretty good 80s like sword and sorcery. Mm-hmm. really shitty movies i have been watching some of those that's yeah. that's about it and um this uh this uh this movie forbidden zone while it's not sword and sorcery it uh i'm probably am going to check this out at some point this weekend <laughs> actually i mean it's it's pretty wild it's a pretty fucking wild movie
0: uh, but again we'll see you know we'll see what uh <laughs> what shakes out um uh, next time This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music this week is brought to you by the aforementioned uh, Possessed. And if you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com. That's F-L-I-X. Or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. For co-host Pat Mitchell and for our guests nathan herbert i am adam walker and we'll we'll see you in the pustule infested bathtub or the underground forbidden zone next time